Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, the show that celebrates every single day the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Uh, today, we're going to spend the entire hour with my friend Ashley Edwards, who is the CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. And we got a wide range of things we want to talk about from the economic situation here to an opportunity he and I had recently to go speak to uh, leadership Gulf Coast. We'll talk a little bit more about that, the importance of leadership development programs all along the coast of Mississippi. Uh, I've got questions about a casino in Slidell. I saw a bunch of signs there on the way back from New Orleans recently. And, uh, you know, what do we look for in the legislative session? Anyway, there's a lot to talk about. How you doing, Ashley? I'm doing great, Ricky. Thank you for having me today. So uh, so let's remind people, <laughs> assuming no one has ever heard any conversation you and I have had before, tell, them, tell us who the Business Council is. Well, I think the simplest way to say it is we represent a good economy on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Um, you know, we, we generally represent the interest of the employers, uh, everyone from small businesses to large businesses, uh, you know, local retail companies to, to big gaming companies. Um, and our, our goal, our mission is to make sure that we have the most sustainable and successful economy uh, that we can possibly have here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And so what we do every day uh, is we're looking into the things that sort of make the economy tick, uh, you know, the market, uh, the workforce, uh, you know, ultimately making sure that we're seeing uh, increasing payrolls, that we're seeing increasing economic development. So it's sort of an all of the above solution, uh, but we're primarily focused on uh, having a sustainable, uh, excuse me, a sustainable economy here in Mississippi. So, so it's really important, important as I've said many times on the show, uh, in the in the um, in the midst of the pandemic, coast of Mississippi has performed really well. I don't want people to get sort of let them lull them into thinking that that we performed well. We performed well relative to other markets in the pandemic. However, if you go back and look at some of the economic health reports from like Polycom, for example, who, who does rankings across the United States there and other uh, key economic indicators. Um, I would say that, that we almost have to go back to pre-Katrina days to really appreciate kind of where we are today and how challenged we really are today. It's a competitive situation. There's some numbers that are alarming and really point to the need for us to have an organization like the Gulf Coast Business Council that's focused on strategic outcomes so that we can not get lulled into thinking that everything's going to be rosy here. The competitive situation being what it is, we've got big work to do, don't we? We do have big work to do. It's kind of a tale of 20 years in a lot of ways. I mean, I moved to the coast in 2002, so about three years before Katrina hit. And it's fascinating, Ricky, when you go back and you take a look at where the Mississippi Gulf Coast was relative to other economic regions of the United States coming out of the 1990s. Um, you know, we at that time were projected to be one of the sort of big growing major regions of the early part of the 2000s. And it wasn't just that folks were saying, hey, we think that they have a lot of potential. They were, we were seeing it in the numbers. Uh, you know, our, our, uh, uh, median household income here in, in the Gulf Coast counties were very close, about $4,000 away from the national median household income, which is which is incredible. You fast forward to today, we're 
20 some odd thousand dollars away from that number. Um, so there's no question that you know, really the, the just the punch after punch of, of Hurricane Katrina, the recession, the oil spill, uh, the Bonnie Carey spillway. I mean, all of these disruptions we've had on up into the COVID pandemic um, have, have really arrested a lot of the, the growth that we are experiencing. And despite that, uh, you know, we've continued to, to do very well. And, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, this is... Um, you know those polycom rankings that you talked about. You know it, th this is it's, this is serious stuff. These are these are red flags that we see and that that we talk about a lot uh, with our business people. And you know a couple of years ago, polycom came out with their rankings. And for folks that may want to look that up, that's P O L I C O M Polycom Corporation. They do economic health rankings, and we were ranked uh, I think number three hundred and sixty out of three hundred and eighty three. Metropolitan, metropolitan statistical areas in the United States, number 361 was Flint, Michigan. Um, and you ask yourself, how in the world could we be ranked one ahead of Flint, Michigan? And, you know, we, we really passed the windshield test here. And what I mean is when you look at all the rebuilding that occurred after Katrina, uh, all of the money that was invested post oil spill. We have a we have a beautiful market, a beautiful destination, lots of new things along uh, along the beachfront. But just simply passing the windshield test does not always mean that the underlying factors that sort of lay the foundation for the economy are as strong. And you know we've seen decreases in our military jobs, decreasing in our manufacturing jobs. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of decrease in, in professional services jobs over that time, and we've seen corresponding increases uh, in a lot of hospitality jobs, which are generally on the lower paying end of the spectrum. And so we've started to see that that job mix change over the last 20 years, and we kind of find ourselves today in a, in a bit of a different situation than we found ourselves in coming out of the late 1990s. What do you what, find do you people are, are gen, genu genuinely surprised? when they hear that we actually achieved uh, peak employment pre-Katrina, not since Katrina. Yes. Do you find them surprised by that? You know, when I speak to groups, one of the first things I ask is, you know, uh, I'm going to give you a few different options of what year do you think we had the highest employment on the Mississippi Gulf Coast? And one of the options is the current year. And I'll ask people to raise their hands. And, and most every time they'll raise it and say, well, the current year, obviously, this is when we had the highest employment. And that's actually not true. Uh, and I think it is very surprising to people. And again, it's, you know, it's, it's not something that you necessarily notice when you travel throughout the market. Um, but, you know, you, you know, you think about the number of homes that we continue to to be down since Hurricane Katrina. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the oil spill uh, was not nearly the environmental catastrophe as it was the economic catastrophe. Uh, because in many ways, what happened with the oil spill was that, you know, the um, the process by which people made claims to BP and businesses made claims, that really was the exit strategy for a lot of businesses that had been struggling through the Great, uh, the great Recession. And we saw a lot of businesses close during that oil spill period in those couple of years. You know, 2011, 2012 were some of the worst years that we've seen in decades. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been very tough. And, uh, and again, it's all these economic disruptions, none of which we put on ourselves. I mean, they were all we were the victim of all these things. It wasn't uh, you know, it wasn't anybody's fault locally that we had to go through this stuff. Well, I remember. I remember after Hurricane Katrina, we had a, a mental health expert who was literally on the property for quite a while, three or four months, and um, 
and, and you know, employees, we wanted employees to have the ability to talk to someone because the employees, some lost family members, some lost everything. They were working. We wanted to make sure their their health, their mental health was was addressed as best we could. Well, one of the things she told me, she said that, okay, think about this for a minute. B before Katrina hit, 50% of society is, is doing pretty good, <laughs> and, but 50% is on the edge. Now, since Katrina hit, the 50% that were, that were on the edge are off the edge now. And the 50% that were over here, 50% of them are now on the edge are off the edge. And I, I never forgot the way she said that. And I understood that from a mental health point of view. But I also think about small business. When, when Katrina hit, um, I mean, how many, how many small businesses, and I, this is rhetorical, I'm not asking you to answer the question, but I wonder how many small businesses on any, any typical time are, are just literally on the edge of not being in business anymore. Because, you know, they, they're, the, they're the heartbeat of our, of our ultimate economy. Katrina heads, so let's say 50% were on the edge. Now they're off the edge. Many didn't open back up again. So we're bringing our economy back again. And then we have the oil spill. And then they drop off again. And then you have the bonnie carry spillway. And some more drop off again. And then you had the pandemic. Lord, how mercy. Yeah. The number that dropped off during the pandemic is, is, is shattering. And these are all the reasons why we are really resilient. We bounce back. But if you look at the macros of our economy, uh, we haven't given ourselves, you know, these, these disasters haven't given us the opportunity to take a deep breath and really be focused in a way that's, gonna, that's going to uh, help, us, help us build our economy. That's why as you and I talk about the new economy so often, the opportunities within the new economy are very significant for us because people want to choose where they want to live. And we have an opportunity to not necessarily go get the big plants, but get people high tech paying jobs and other types of jobs that can, re that can work remotely and have them move here. There's some real opportunities in that area, isn't there, uh, Ashley? There's a lot of opportunity there, and I think in some ways what you just touched on is really the most important thing that we can be talking about as it relates to the economy here locally, and it's it's that forward-looking you know, 2021 to 2030 time period. We are seeing changes happen in the world economy and the national economy that are unlike anything that we have experienced. I mean, this is truly kind of the next industrial revolution that we're going through. Uh, and with that in mind, you know, going going forward, we've got a lot of new doors opening, a lot of new opportunities. Uh, but, you know, it's not going to just fall in our lap. It takes strategy and it takes very intentional action uh, really designed around a new strategy for the new economy. New strategy, that's where the uh, BP money, or specifically the Coast Restoration Fund, is so critical because it can help make private investment projects that may not otherwise be viable actually viable because the, this, the uh, BP money helps to make the numbers work. We'll talk more about all of these pieces and how they fit together after we come back from break. This is the CEO of uh, the Gulf Coast Business Council, Ashley Edwards, Edwards and we'll see you after this. Coast View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1.
welcome back to Coast View. We have Ashley Edwards, who's the CEO of the Gold Coast Business Council with us. And, you know, and any anytime you do a strategic plan, you're going to have strengths and you're going to have weaknesses. You're going to have opportunities and you're going to have threats. That's just the reality. And it's important when you develop a strategic plan to be really, really honest about the current situation. You, okay, I often said when I was leading strategic planning efforts in the corporate world that you can't go to where you want to go if you don't know where you are now. But so, so we did, we always spent a lot of time really understanding the current situation, whether it's the current process, whether it's the current you know, uh, uh, structure of a co- corporation or whether it was an economic situation, whatever they might be, whether, what the opportunities were, what the threats were. Uh, and so on, and as honestly as we can, as we can tell them, and I, and I know that you guys, you and your incredible executive committee, composed of some of the most significant CEOs in coastal Mississippi, are very honest about the red flags you see, which is one of the reasons why you've been driven so hard to develop a strategic plan that is that really begins to understand where the real opportunities are for us. And if you don't, if the Coast Business Council doesn't do this, Ashley, who does this? What organization does this that would look at the three coast counties? Well, that's it's such an interesting thing that you asked that question. Uh, one of our former chairman, John Harrison, CEO of Hancock Bank, he, he used to begin a lot of his speeches as the Business Council chairman by sort of asking the audience to identify some of the challenges that they see. And then he would ask the question, okay, now who's responsible for fixing this? And there would oftentimes be a lot of silence because the question really is, you know, who is responsible? Is it is it the mayor? Is it the boards of supervisors? Is it the business community? Is it the legislature? Um, and really, the answer is it, it's all of us. Um, and and that's a that's kind of a feel good an- answer, sort of like when people say economic development is a team sport. Um, but you've got to have people that are accountable, and you've got to have people that wake up every morning thinking about these issues. And that's really what we've, you know, we've tried to do here at the business council. Um, we're really fortunate on the Mississippi Gulf Coast that we've got a number of executives um, who oversee companies that, you know, don't just have locations here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. So they're seeing the economic, uh, you know, situation that's happening in other competitor markets. You look at a guy like John Harrison, he's a great example, you know, banks from from Texas to Florida. So he sees what's happening in all of these individual regions and markets and states. Um, and they're really able to kind of compare the success that we're having here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast to what they're seeing in other areas. And and those comparisons are are important uh, because, you know, you can't always just compare yourself to, to past performance. I mean, it, you know, um, the, the question is always, well, compared to what? You know, I, I made the, a comment one time about, um, you know, the fact that there was a there was a year a few years ago when Gulfport had seen like an eight percent increase in sales tax diversions, um, and there was a little article about it that said, "Hey, this is positive. We saw a, an eight percent increase in sales tax diversions, so they're going up." But then when you kind of looked at the rest of the story and you saw that uh, Flowood, Mississippi, had seen a sixty four percent increase, um, that tells a story. So it's it's compared to what, and we always are comparing ourselves to other similar markets. Uh, similar population, similar type of industrial mix, to see what's going on in those markets. And and you know, and to, to your point earlier, uh, you know, the, this new economy, the things that we're seeing happen, the the changes that are accelerating in the economy, 
that's where so much of our focus is today, uh, because when you look at the at the regions who are being really successful out there, uh, one thing that you see that they all have in common is they are all trying to evolve with the the economic evolution that we're seeing both nationally and, and worldwide. Yeah, I, I find, of course, you know, for people who don't know this or don't remember this, I was the publisher of the Sun-Herald. I worked at the Sun-Herald for 27 years, was very active in the community, involved as a vice chairman of the recovery effort after Hurricane Katrina. My, my, my planning uh, area of responsibility for the governor's commission was tourism. And um, and so you know I've spent I spent a lifetime being involved in the community trying to understand this. I had a, a great mentor in Roland Weeks, and uh, you know what Roland taught me early on is that that we spent so much time in coastal Mississippi fighting amongst ourselves that Jackson really never had to pay much attention to us. And it was Hurricane Katrina and the ultimate formation of the Gulf Coast Business Council that began to really, for the first time, in a, I mean, there were other organizations that, that predated this, but I'm saying one that was really focused on bringing about change and helping to sort of unite around the strategic, economic strategic imperatives that, that exist. The Gulf Coast Business Council was a huge step in that direction because it then began to look. We began to look at the, at the um, um, the region, as an entity. Each each city, each county has their own little thing going on, and the, these these senses of place that I talk about on Coast View all the time is what makes us such an amazing amazing community. But um, there's at a macro level, there are things that we share, and when we can come together and get get surrounded around those opportunities, we we're we're unbeatable. I think about places like I spent time in Alabama. I had responsibilities for the Mobile Press Register, the Birmingham News, and the Huntsville Times. So I spent a lot of time in Huntsville. And when you look at what Huntsville has done and how they do it and when the way that they bring their regional leadership together and when they when they, they say I think they called it something like the the Washington 100 and they bring a hundred leaders to and they brought a hundred leaders to Washington they didn't mess around man when they when they went to, to to Montgomery they went as a unit and they were very focused around what they wanted to do and I still think one of our without naming any specific issue I still think one of our biggest challenges and this is the role the Gulf Coast Business Council has to play is in getting everyone on the same page. You know, we, we're too often not on the same page around the issues we should be on the same page about. And to me, that continues to be frustrated. I, it's frustrating. I think that too many people, for too many people, and you know, again, not naming names, there is a powerful lubrication to move toward mediocrity. You know, protect the status quo and not focused on where could we be and where do we need to go and let's make some tough decisions. I hope that we can begin to make more progress around where the big opportunities are. How do you assess our ability to get around, you know, get our heads around big issues? Well, you know, look, you're absolutely correct. It, it has been difficult and, and oftentimes when we want to figure out who we have to blame uh, for, for not necessarily doing better than we've done, it's just a just a look in the mirror uh, because it's really not external factors. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that we can control. And so, you know, disasters aside, there's no question we can always do better. Um, you know, think about it this way too, Ricky. I mean, if, if you were going to be designing from scratch on paper, a, a new economic region, uh, and you, you built a region that has incredible infrastructure, uh, you know, 80 some odd miles of interstate frontage, the Gulf of Mexico, 
environmental tourism activities, low cost of ha housing, low cost of labor, high quality of life, proximity to uh, other major cities like New Orleans. I mean, you literally would have a tough time designing a place uh, that could should be as competitive as the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And we've got to keep that in mind. You know, we, we've taken business groups to Nashville a number of times to look at sort of their model there and what they've gone through. Uh, and, you know, it's a pretty, pretty incredible story. But, you know, suffice it to say, one of the things that has always stuck with me uh, in being with Na in Nashville and talking to some of their leaders there is, is we ask the, the question of, okay, well, for some of you guys that are familiar with the Mississippi Gulf Coast, what are your thoughts? And, you know, in each, in each and every case, they say, we don't understand why you're not out competing us. Uh, you have advantages that we don't have. If we had, you know, a, a coastline on the Gulf of Mexico, imagine where we would be. So, you know, for I, I think other folks see us sometimes differently than we see ourselves and actually see the potential that we really have. And, and that's one of the reasons we've had the success we've had with outside uh, investment coming in and, and really, you know, ultimately standing up the coast. You know, we don't have a tremendous amount of investment capital locally and in the state as a whole. Uh, but we have to continue to attract those outside dollars. Those are those are important for us. I mentioned I mentioned the BP money, the restoration fund. Um, you know, it's my hope say for people who don't know how it works, essentially projects come forward. They get scored by a committee. Ashley's a leader on that committee. They get scored by the committee, then they go to the legislature, and then the legislature decides it's an advisory committee. But unfortunately, the way it's structured today is not all projects have to go through the the, to, uh, the committee to get scored. My my comment to both the lieutenant governor and the speaker on this subject is that if we're really, really serious about not having this sort of be a political game, but have it be one that, that really seeks to find transformational projects that can pay back and solve some of these red flags that we're talking about then all of these all of these projects must be scored so we can if we want to improve sort of the the outcome of the scoring then we can tweak the scoring system but if we're allowing projects to go around it then you know it's just this kind of bifurcated political game that we're playing and it's truly unfortunate then the what i say about it is that we've only been through a couple of rounds we got 14 15 years to go that's the good news and we get a chance to get this right and we can use the experience so far to show that you know, some of the projects we've done aren't transformational in purpose. They're just one-time money spent for cities or counties that could have been could have got other sources to be able to do that. When we come back and, and talk about this on the other side, well, I want to talk about the still potential transformative nature of the BP money or the Coast Restoration Fund and how it might help us in uh, addressing some of these new economy challenges that we have. This is Ashley Edwards from the Business Council, and we'll be back after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews, brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Supertalk 103.1 FM. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm Ashley Edwards, the CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. When we went to break, we were beginning to talk a little bit about the BP money or the Coast Restoration Fund. Uh, have the opportunity to disperse millions of dollars for the next, uh, we have about 14 years left or is this the, or 15 years? Yeah, 14, I think it's correct. 14. 
So you know, we, we get a chance to get this right. So I'm not so critical at this point. But when I talk to people like Ben Brown, Ben Brown uh, wrote the governor's commission report after Katrina certainly edited it. Uh, he worked for Andreas Duani. He's literally a renaissance guy, but he worked for the company called Placemakers, and they go in to help do you know, development programs, um, you know, re redevelopment programs in communities all over America. And what he said was, if some of the communities he worked with had anything like that BP fund, there would be developers knocking their doors down to try to get to the money. And and they would want that. They but they would want their their whole goal would be to leverage the money to take to take a dollar of BP money and turn it into five or six or seven or eight dollars in some kind of transformative projects. So so you can take uh, a, a a major project like let's say the the the, the one that's proposed is a, a very massive uh, a multi-million dollar project mixed-use project for Gulfport and and make that project viable by having the BP money help kind of make the numbers work. He said they would love that. They would they would just be stumbling all over themselves to get to that money. But we're having a struggle about it. We're having, for whatever reason, we're wanting to spend the money on government buildings and government stuff and not thinking transformatively and literally inviting private investment to come in and say, hey, help us leverage it. You know, the one who leverages the most gets the most or whatever. I mean, am I, am I out too out there in thinking that, Ashley? No, you're not out there at all. I mean, it, look, I, you know, I, I, I never want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And, and obviously, it's good to have money flowing. It's good to be able to get this money spent and get it into the local economy. I think in a perfect world, you know, it'd be nice to see something like this money in an irrevocable trust uh, that would allow for investments to be made you know, that really meet a high standard as the opportunities arise. Um, you know, there, there are ways that, you know, we should be able to be using this money, uh, not just over the period of, of 19 years, but over a period of 50 years, if, if ultimately you could really manage it that way. But, you know, government's not always really great at doing that. Um, you know, it's difficult sometimes when you've got private companies that are involved and, and looking to try to partner and leverage public dollars. Those are all very difficult things. That's And it's a difficult job for, for the folks that are elected officials to do. On the same note, to, to Ben Brown's point, and I think he's exactly right, you know, the way that you create the greatest value on these dollars is by using these dollars to attract more private capital to come in here and invest. So if it, you know, so if for every dollar we invest in a project, we get a commitment that some private firm is going to put $10 of their own in it, then we've now created $11 local spend for every dollar rather than just the $1, which is a lot, a lot of times what we see when we're doing government-owned infrastructure or buildings or, or you know parks or things of that nature. Not to say that those things aren't important, but the other thing I think that's so important for people to keep in mind, and it's it's something that's often gets lost, you know, in many ways, this BP, these, these BP dollars, this is the most valuable money we have. And people say, well, actually, what do you mean most valuable? I mean, a dollar is a dollar is a dollar. Well, not really. Not when you're in the government world, because some dollars are very prescriptive. Uh, you know, infrastructure grants are could have to be spent on infrastructure. Environmental restoration grants have to be spent on environmental restoration. And there are programs throughout state and federal government to, to meet a lot of needs that happen. Now, are there enough resources? No, of course there aren't. There are never enough resources for everything. But there are different avenues to address these things. 
the BP do dollars are valuable because we can literally spend them on virtually anything. So they become the gap fillers, the things that you can't find, you know, uh, a source at the Mississippi Department of Transportation or BP, BP oil spill money or federal infrastructure spending or federal pandemic spending. I mean, all of these things that all this money we see flowing. And, you know, that's why I think it's, it's so incredibly important to make sure that we're not spending this money on projects for which there are other funding sources that are more prescriptive, that have to be spent on those things because uh, we're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul in a way. And, uh, you know, again, the public policy of it is difficult. There's all, you know, it's, it's, a, there, it's complicated. There are a lot of projects that are being applied for. There are a lot to navigate there. Uh, but to, to your point, we've, we've still got a lot of opportunity ahead of us. There's still a lot of money to still to be spent, both from the, the direct BP dollars and other oil spill dollars that now you're going to see combined with, with federal infrastructure dollars and American Recovery Act dollars, other things from the, from the, uh, from the pandemic. Uh, you know, probably the best, not probably, the best opportunity we've had for, to make some major investments since Hurricane Katrina uh, and maybe the last one we'll have for, for quite some time. We, we have to get it right. Hey, so when someone says, uh, say, uh, a legislator or some leader in the state, political leader says, or elected leader says, I don't want to spend this BP money on a private, on a private enterprise. Uh, th to me, that doesn't add up because we're doing TIF bonds constantly across this state. We're doing, I mean, what did it take to make Nissan work? And I could, I could just name them off one at a time where the, where the states had a stake in, um, in a private enterprise. So how do, how, do you, how do you counter that? Well, you know, I think as it relates to these, look, I, I totally understand the, the notion that we don't want to take government money that was paid by the taxpayers and put it in the hands of private companies. I get that. That's politically. Uh, I understand the, the you know, the, the really high cliff that you have to climb to, to try to do that. And you're right. The state of Mississippi does do it uh, on economic development projects and, you know, big projects they bond. One thing to keep in mind about these BP dollars is, you know, they the, the dollars belong to the taxpayers, but they weren't paid by the taxpayers. They were pa they were paid by a private company as a damage settlement for economic damages they inflicted. So they are intended to restore the local economy uh, and the way it was harmed during the oil spill. So we really got to always keep that in mind. And so, you know, how do you do that? Well, you, you really focus on what's the economic impact of projects? What's the total capital investment that's going to come in? If you spend a dollar, how many tax dollars will it generate over time? You know, the difference between uh, you know, building a, a, a publicly owned road, uh, or I shouldn't say building a road, but repaving a publicly owned road and building a new one is that repaving it is probably not going to create a lot of new development on it, but building a new one does. Um, I mean, so it really becomes how do we create sustainable income sources for our cities and counties over time? And, you know, I, I asked them all to just look at it very simply. Look, if we put $1 into this project, how much will we see over the next 50 years? And if the answer is we put $1 in this project and we'll see 1,000 come in as a result of it, that's what a good investment looks like. And that really ought to be the type of standard uh, that we're using. That's a, that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but uh, you know, in some cases you just have to make it a little bit more simple. And it is ultimately, what does the return on investment look like? And if that is our guiding, uh, sort of our guiding standard, you know, I think we will do very well if we keep that at the forefront. At the end of the day, 
we're not agreeing on what transformation is. The bill intended for transformation to happen, the wording is there, the intention is there. But the process that was set up enabled political maneuvering to occur. And I don't, I get it, man. If I'm a mayor in some small town or in a county and I've got a shortfall and I need the money and this money's there and my legislature is willing to work for me and they can lobby the lieutenant governor and the house speaker, you know, you know, I'd say power to them, really. At the end of the day, though, it's up to leadership in our state to stay stay focused on coast is an economic engine. It's an engine that drives the state. Think about it. Ingalls on one end, uh, um, Stennis on the other, the, the tourism economy and how that affects our state. It is to everyone. I don't care if you live in Tupelo or you live on the coast. It is important to everyone that the coast be an economic engine. And what are some? I mean, we don't get often get the opportunity, especially given the impact of the oil spill on coastal Mississippi. We don't get a chance to invest in things that could pay back for many years to come and create jobs, as opposed to build a building, a municipal building over here. That we just we we have to get aligned. This is one of the areas where I think we we've got work to do. We've got a lot of work to do when it comes to taking advantage of the opportunities are in front of us to address our needs as a set of communities. And it play again, we get a chance to get this right. I think there's some intention in the legislature to make it so that all com all projects have to come through your committee, that nothing can come around it. And um, you know, those will be steps in the right direction. And hopefully we'll start to get more focused on what transformation is all about. I mean, hopefully we'll we'll do that. Yes, you're still hopeful we'll do that as well, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, look, here's the good news in all of it. I have not, I have never had a conversation with anybody, business person, legislator, statewide leader, who doesn't agree that we absolutely need to be picking transformational projects. Um, yeah. You know, and we just got to sometimes align the process with the goal. And so I think that's what we're going through right now is how do you get the process to make sure we get the outcomes that we're looking for. Absolutely. That is the goal for sure. Hey, when we come back, we'll find out what is going on these days at the Gulf Coast Business Council during the holidays. We'll see you after this break. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. And look, it's not every day we get into all the gyrations of politics and available money and bonding and all, oh, you know, financing. I mean, sometimes I know that these conversations seem a little bit nerdy, but success in a community really requires that we be good at this. <laughs> we have to be good at this level so we can celebrate 
what 90% of the show really f- talks about most of the time, the, you know, the people who are really making a difference. But, you know, a strategic plan, a group, a regional group that's focused on that, making sure we're re- real honest about the areas of opportunity and the areas of challenge, that's the key to success. And that's what the Gulf Coast Business Council is doing. I've got Ashley Edwards, the CEO of the Business Council, with me. Ashley, bef- before we shift gears, because I'm just curious about life at the Business Council these days. Um, so you've gone through a couple of rounds of scoring projects that that are part of the Coast Restoration Fund. And this this latest round that, that will now head toward the legislature to go through that process. Um, do you find the quality of projects are getting better? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, several of the committee members, um, and I should add the committee members that we have are outstanding. Uh, the work they do is outstanding. But they, they all commented on the fact that, you know, after reviewing the projects this year, we felt like the quality of projects had improved, the quality of applications had improved. Um, you know, and, and I think we're starting to see more good projects come through the pike. And so, you know, that's good news. Um, that's really good news. And um, and that's only going to continue as people become more aware of the funding opportunity, as they start to see, uh, you know, what's being funded over time as new opportunities arise. I think you're going to continue to see the quality of projects go up. And and this year was no exception. Um you know, we we actually recommended more projects to the legislature this year than we had in the previous years, and our projects in aggregate scored higher this year uh, than they had in previous years. So things are are moving in the right direction. Wow, that's awesome. That's good. To, that's really good to hear. So, what's life like at the business council these days? The things slow down, or you got to do lists that are a mile long? Well, you know, the December uh, is always a kind of an interesting month because we're budgeting for next year, and and. You know, like any organization or small business, you know we're we're a small we're a small uh, nonprofit, uh, and at the end of the day, you know we depend on our members for support, and so uh, there's a lot of work to do, and and not always a lot of resources to go do it, and that's and we're no different than than lots of other businesses in that regard. But uh, you know, really planning for the next year, we've got a lot of uh, big things coming up next year. You know, we our sincere hope is that we really start to see this pandemic subside in such a way that we see a real return to normalcy. Uh, you look back to to 2021, and man, things just felt like they were starting to go so well. April and May and the spring, and the number of infections were going down, and people were returning to events. And then the Delta surge hits, and uh, you know, it just just another thing that we kind of had to roll with that punch. But um, hopefully, we will see that start to subside next year. Obviously, we're watching very closely what's happening in, in the national economy, and and with the Omicron variant, um, the biggest issue that that we have found ourselves diving into in these last few months really is their workforce issues. Um, at, you know, as as all of your listeners know, there are. Um, signs looking to hire new workers. It's just about every business they see. Uh, Workforce is an issue uh, all over the country right now, not just in coastal Mississippi. And so that's going to continue to persist on into 2022. Uh, You know, you look at the numbers that were recently released from the federal government for August and September, you know, a lot of economists are calling it the great resignation because there were so many people that left their jobs during those months, more than we had seen during uh, that month period of time really in history. Now, relative to the entire national workforce, it was a relatively small amount. You're looking at, you know, about 3% of the total workforce. Uh, but that's a that's a really significant number when you look at it. The thing that's really interesting about that, and it's, it's very applicable to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, 
is about one and uh, one and a half percent of the national workforce are about half of the total of people that left their jobs in August and September uh, were not millennials or, or folks who were moving jobs. They were actually baby boomers who retired. And I say that because it's something that has been on our radar for a number of years now, especially in manufacturing and some of the other sectors that we have. Um, we have a very good workforce, a very experienced workforce, but an aging workforce. We're not seeing the number of young workers replacing the number of older workers in our market. And as a result of the pandemic and as a result of just you know the natural process of aging, uh, we have a lot of employees who are slated to begin retiring in the next few years. Um, some companies I've talked to say as many, they, they expect to lose as much as half of their workforce to retirement over the next few years. Um, that's a, a tough thing. It's a tough challenge for the employers. It's also an, a heck of a good opportunity uh, for new employees that are looking for for good, you know, well-paying jobs and, and looking to move up. So, you know, really what we want to do moving into the new year is is start to, to work on some strategies for talent attraction. How, how do we find, how do we get talented young people um, to come back to coastal Mississippi or even come here for the first time to go after some of these jobs and to participate in our economy? Uh, that's one of our big next challenges ahead. And it's something that we're spending a whole lot of time on. Well, I've cited it many times that there was a study done that said 40% of the people who are currently employed are going to look for other employment because they've learned a lot about their companies during the pandemic and they see these openings and they want to go get them. Yep. So, you know, we're we're obviously not immune to that reality here in coastal Mississippi and it's something we're going to have to stay focused on. And I appreciate the fact that the Gulf Coast Business Council and your incredible leadership team is there to stay focused on these issues. I know it's not easy. It's so difficult sometimes hurting cats. That's just the way it is. But uh, thank God for the Gulf Coast Business Council. Hey, thank you so much, Ashley. I appreciate you visiting with me today. Hey, thank you very much, Ricky. Always a pleasure, and thank you for all you do. You bet, man. Thank you so much, and have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.